I want to invite you to join me this morning in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Mark 6. The population of Edmonton currently, as I understand it, is somewhere around 1.5 million people. Our province, Alberta, sits around 4.6 million. And the country of Canada is getting close now to 39 million people. And the world at large is hovering around a population somewhere around 8 billion people. Uh, That's a lot of people. And Jesus cares about every single one of them. Every single person needs Jesus Christ as their king. That is what Christ desires. And that really for any person that uh, will bow before Christ as their king, that is of the greatest benefit, benefit to that person individually. But Jesus' plan is not to go everywhere personally announcing the kingdom. That's not what he uh, plans or intends to do. His plan is to send other people out as his representatives all around the globe. And doing that, taking that approach, exponentially multiplies and extends the work of Jesus Christ. In Mark 6, 7-13, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles to do the exact same things that he's already been doing in the Gospel of Mark. And since that time, Jesus Christ has sent you and I out as well. Jesus wants to multiply his work in the world through you. Through you personally. Through our church collectively. Through God's people all around the globe. But at the end of the day, he wants his work to go out through you personally. We're going to look at this text where Christ sends out the 12 And to properly apply this passage to yourself, I think it's important that you understand a couple items kind of here from the beginning. First of all, uh, you are not an apostle. And second of all, uh, many of the details of this text relate specifically to the apostles and the mission that Jesus sent them on at that particular time. That's significant because it impacts how we apply this text to ourselves. Uh, In a passage like this, we are wise to draw our applications more from general principles in the text rather than the nuanced specifics that were given to the apostles in this particular situation. And I think that'll make more sense as we get going here. Uh, But you'll find that several of the principles and themes from this passage and the commissioning of the Twelve also apply to your commissioning. You and I have been commissioned as well. What's our commission called? It's called the Great Commission. Uh, Right before Christ ascended into heaven, he gave all of his followers a commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so much of what we see here will relate to that. Follow along as I read Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7 down through 13. And he called the twelve, that's the apostles, and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And then skip down to verse 30 because uh, after the disciples go out and they do what Jesus commissioned them to do there, they come back in verse 30 and report to him. Verse 30 says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. 
And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. As we look at this text, I want to just bring before you five reminders for those the Lord sends. First of all, you have been given everything you need, just as these 12 men had been given everything they needed. Look back at verse 7. It says that Jesus called the 12, so he summons them all to himself, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Jesus is sending out the 12 without him, while presumably he stays back in Capernaum somewhere. And we might ask, are these guys ready for this? I mean, it seems a bit premature. Their track record hasn't exactly been reassuring. Think about the list of blunders with these 12 men thus far in the Gospel of Mark. We've seen them try to derail Jesus from his mission. He's going to go out and preach, and in the opening chapter or so, the disciples say, no, 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 come back to the house and keep healing people. We've seen them more than once become exasperated with Jesus. On one occasion, chapter 3, verse 21, they actually oppose him. They've repeatedly misunderstood Jesus, something that they will continue to, continue to do for chapter and chapter and chapter to come. What's the point? Jesus sends fallible people out to do his work. And just like he did with the twelve, the Lord has equipped you practically and spiritually with everything you need for the task before you. We're not looking at twelve men that are just incredibly awesome and skilled in every way and never make mistakes or blunders and know everything and just have it all together. But Jesus is equipping them to succeed, practically and spiritually. You might not feel that you are equipped for the Great Commission work that Jesus has called you to. You may not feel like you are very well equipped to share the gospel with people or to to help another Christian grow in their walk with God. You might think, who am I? Like, I, that's, I'm not there. You might not feel like you're ready. You might not feel godly enough, mature enough, well-versed enough, old enough, and so on. I think there's this reality that you never really fully feel prepared for ministry. But your perspective and God's perspective may be different. According to him, he's graciously equipped you. God handed each of his disciples two pieces of equipment before sending them out. One was just very practical and the other was spiritual. What did he give them? He gave them each a partner and he gave them authority. Practically, the Lord has equipped you. Jesus is always practical. He's giving his disciples the needed resources for success. In verse 7, it says that he began to send them out, not as individuals, not all on their own, not in isolation, but two by two. So what did he give each of them? Practically, he gave each of them a partner. He's trying to set them up for success by sending them out in pairs. Uh, The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes tells us that two are better than one, and that can be applied to almost any situation or scenario. How's it going to help these guys going out in partners? Well, as ministry partners, they're going to benefit from each other's perspectives, strengths, counsel, and so many other things. Jesus was practically equipping them for the mission ahead. And practically, the Lord has done the same thing for you. And just one example of that, how has he uh, practically equipped you? Well, he has given you a church family to partner with in gospel ministry. 
you might not think that you need that partnership. Some people don't think that they do. They think, well, I I can be a great Christian without a church body. I can do all kinds of ministry without a church body. But you do need the body of Christ. You need people to pray with you. You need people to come alongside of you and give you counsel and give you wisdom and advice and, and, and remind you of Scripture. People to challenge and sharpen you. People to tell you, you know, I'm not sure you're thinking straight right now. That, that doesn't sound biblical. I mean, the way that you're framing it, it almost kind of sounds okay, but that's not right. We're to help you when you've fallen and are struggling with sin. God has given you a local church, and if you don't have one, you need to find one. It's God's plan for you and the mission. The mission goes forward as we partner together in gospel ministry. But spiritually, the Lord has equipped you as well. Verse 7 says that Jesus also gave them authority over unclean spirits. He was spiritually equipping them. The Gospel of Mark has highlighted the authority of Jesus again and again. We've seen it in almost every chapter. We saw it with Jesus in a boat on the sea in a storm with his disciples and his authority over nature. He crossed the Sea of Galilee and he encounters this demoniac with thousands of demons and he has authority over demons. He has authority over everything. And now Jesus has gifted his disciples or apostles with authority so that they can successfully fulfill their God-given mission. Has God spiritually equipped you? He did for them. Spiritually, the Lord has equipped you too. With what, you might ask? Well, he sent you out with a couple really awesome pieces of equipment. He's given you his word. And he has given you and placed within you his spirit. His word and his spirit. You cannot find better equipment than that. Jesus has given you the very finest equipment that there is. Let me tell you, he has set you up. He literally dwells within you. If you went out today and you joined the Canadian Army, the Army would no doubt equip you with several standard issue items. I don't know exactly what they would give you, but I would imagine that they would give you some standard issue socks and boots and a uniform or two, a rifle, a pistol, maybe a knife or a compass and so on. But you're going to get several standard issue items that everybody's going to get along with you. The army is going to give its troops the standard issue items they need to fulfill their duties. I think sometimes for us, those standard issue isn't quite good enough. But what God gives us as standard issue, it's unrivaled. What's he given you? He has given you his word. He has spoken. He's given you his spirit. He dwells within you. He has given you his people, the body of Christ, the church. Can I just ask you, is that not good enough for you? I mean, you step back and go, I can't do this. I mean, I know some really godly people that they can fulfill the Great Commission. They can share the gospel with other people. They can come alongside another Christian and they can invest in their life. I'm just not sure that's me. Is what God has given standard issue not enough for you? Is it not good enough for you? You have all you need. When God commissioned Moses to go speak to Pharaoh on his behalf, Moses said, God, I I can't do that. I mean, I can't talk eloquently. I mean, I stutter. I can't get my thoughts straight. I'm going to be a mumbling, bumbling mess in front of Pharaoh. And God asked Moses this question. Moses, who is it that made your mouth? 
It was me. God had made his mouth. God had given Moses what he needed. And God has done the same for you. Jesus wants to multiply his work in the world through you. And even though you may not feel like it, even though you might be nervous, you've been given everything you need. The second reminder for those the Lord sends. You must trust and depend upon the Lord. This is going to come down to trust and dependence. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says that he charged them. That's significant language. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. These verses contain a light packing list that is extremely basic. What does it include? Nothing. Verse 8 says that Jesus charged them to take nothing with them on their journey. And then we read the word no, 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 and no. No bread, no bag, no money, no second tunic, nothing. Well, couldn't they bring something? Yeah, sure, a few things. The staff in their hands, the sandals on their feet, and the clothes on their back, that was it. And you can just hear the questions that are probably spinning through the disciples' heads as Jesus said this. I mean, one of, these, one of the disciples is probably just Mr. Logical and Mr. Practical. And maybe questions are spinning like this through their heads. What if, what if, what if, or I actually might have a better idea. You know, what if no one hosts us at a particular village? You're going to send us from town to town, village to village. All those villages are going to respond differently. What if no one hosts us at a particular village? We might need an extra tunic to stay warm at night. What if we're sleeping out on the streets? We're going to be cold. Another tunic. Second tunic would be really nice. What if no one hosts us at a particular village? We might need money to purchase food or lodging. I mean, it would just make practically sen- practical sense if we were a bit more prepared. What if one village is really generous to us and they receive us and they hear our message and they take good care of us? You know, if we brought our bags, I know that you said not to, but it's not that big. It's not that heavy. If we brought our bags along, we could stock up at places like that just in case the next village isn't so great. Apparently, Jesus was trying to teach his disciples a critical lesson that would serve them well, not just on that particular mission, but the rest of their lives as God's servants. What was that lesson? That from hour to hour, And from day to day, they needed to trust and depend upon the Lord. It is not what you brought with you in your bag. They would have to rely on the Lord to provide a generous host for them and meet each of their needs every single day. This is not about what you bring with you. You are probably prone to try to be self-dependent and self-reliant. I know I am. I think most of us kind of want to be. You might not like to embark upon situations where you can't guarantee an outcome. If you can't guarantee what's going to happen, you might as well not start. That might be your headspace. You might not like to embark upon situations where you might find yourself outside of your comfort zone feeling unprepared and nervous. You need to learn that Christian ministry, again, is not about what's in your backpack or what's in your carry-on or how prepared you personally feel. Your help comes from the Lord. And that's what he's trying to teach these men. If anything good happens here, it's going to be because of me, not what is in your bag. I'm sure there are different 
packing philosophies among the people in this room. You might be the underpacker. Oh, no, I forgot my toothbrush. Honey, can I borrow yours? No, that's disgusting. Or you might be the last-minute packer, the procrastinator packer. You're leaving in 10 minutes. Your flight's about to take off and throw it all in the bag. Or you might be the overpacker, the just-in-case packer. You go on a three-day trip, and you pack seven pairs of socks, 10 changes of clothes, five pairs of shoes, and two umbrellas just in case it rains and your first umbrella breaks. You are not going to be caught unprepared. My grandmother's purse was kind of like this. If you needed something, it didn't matter what it was. It could be found in that bag. It was only this big, but it was in there. When it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission and telling other people about Jesus and helping other people grow, some of you want to be prepared for anything and everything that you could possibly encounter. Every contingency, every curveball, every need. You do not want to get caught off guard. You want to safeguard against all difficulties and dangers and maintaining comfort is a high priority. And that philosophy, that headspace is actually keeping you from the work itself. Jesus hasn't called you to that. He hadn't called these men to that. And so a few questions. Are you trusting in everything that you have packed in your bags? Or what has to be there in your bag for you to be, before you can be obedient? Well, I need this, and I, I got to have this piece of equipment, and I need to be ready with this, that, or whatever. In this situation, it would appear that the overpacker is actually self-reliant. You are going to have to trust and depend upon the Lord. That is how this works. Jesus wants to multiply his work in the world through you. And though you might be tempted to be self-reliant and self-dependent, you must trust and depend upon the Lord. One person said, loyalty to the kingdom of God leaves no room for prior attachment to material security. And frankly, to any form or type of security. Our security comes from Christ. There's a third reminder, I think, for us in this text for those the Lord sends. And it's this. You should expect polarized responses. In verses 10 to 11, Jesus thinks it's prudent to give his disciples just a really basic heads up on how people will respond to their ministry, on how people will respond to the good news of the kingdom. And what he clues them in on is that some people are going to be extremely responsive. And that's going to be awesome. And others will be resistant. And you have a a, a different response for each group. But it's just helpful to know in advance that here's what's going to happen. You could be blindsided by how people respond. And on the flip side of that, it can be absolutely shocking And wonderful and awesome to see people respond and go forward and follow Jesus and live for him and grow. So, expect on the one hand that some will be responsive. Look at verse 10. Jesus said to them, whenever you enter a house, so they're they're going around from village to village. And whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And and the, the idea is you've been welcomed. You've been received. As the disciples went from town to town, village to village, some of those towns and villages, they would receive them and they would hear their teaching and preaching ministry. They they would listen and respond. They would experience things like healing and deliverance. They would welcome and host the disciples in their home and they would look after them while they were there and all of their needs would be provided. 
that Jesus told the disciples to stay at the same host home for the duration of their stay in each village. Okay, you go to a village, they welcome you, they receive you, you're invited into a home, you park in that one home until you leave. Don't take a better offer if it comes up. Not only would that be offensive to your host, you know, the food next door was better, so you left. But also, this is not about you. Okay, this mission that you're on, it's, it's not about you 12 men. Expect that some will be responsive, and when you're welcomed and you're received, you stay put right there. And on the flip side of that, expect that some will be resistant. Look at verse 11. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Other villages won't receive them. They're not going to listen to their message. They're not going to hear the gospel. They're not going to respond. They're just going to be hard against it. And in that situation, Jesus told the disciples to shake off the dust of your feet from that village and go on to the next. What's going on with that? Well, it was the custom of of pious, committed Jews when they traveled outside the land of Israel, when they traveled outside of Palestine, and they were in pagan Gentile lands, upon their return home, they would shake off the dust off their clothes and off their feet and kind of rid themselves of that because it represented a certain degree of defilement and all the rest, and then they'd come back into the promised land. And basically through that action, they were disassociating themselves from the pollution of those lands and their ultimate judgment. And Jesus tells his disciples to do that. And the, the thing is, they're going around basically to, to Jewish villages, Jewish towns. And he said, if they won't hear you, you shake off the dust of your feet like that as a testimony against them. That action would, would, would convey that these people, primarily Jewish people, were acting like Gentile pagans and they were, were rejecting God's message and they would have to answer to God for their rejection of him. And it sounds harsh, but it was actually a compassionate warning, a, a visual message with the hope that the people would see it and they would recon... Wait a second. Whoa. And they would humbly reconsider and they would repent. Jesus wants to multiply his work in the world through you. And even though it may be shocking and hard and frustrating at times, you should expect that responses will be polarized. There will be really positive responses. And you will go, this is great. This is amazing. I mean, this just, oh, this is life-giving. I just want to do this more and more and more. And then on the flip side of that, there would just be people that are hard. No, I don't want that. Leave me alone. Or they hurt you or they wrong you. I think based on these two different responses, there are a few things to think about. And one would be this idea that you should pour yourself into people who are hungry for it. And stay put and keep investing in those people. As a disciple maker, when there is someone who wants to grow and they want to follow Jesus, I want to keep investing in that person more and more and more and more. And as long as this person's keep willing to let me keep having a gospel conversation with them, I want to keep having it again and again and again and again. And on the flip side of that, sometimes it's time to move on to the next village, so to speak. It's easy to make the mistake of giving all your ministry time and attention to people that don't really want it. 
And sometimes you need to move on to the next person who does want it. Because you, you end up, somebody does not want, they're not open to your ministry in their lives, particularly someone who's already a believer. And you just keep trying and you just keep trying and you just keep trying. They're not putting in the effort. They don't care. And all your time's going to them. And meanwhile, there's someone right around the corner that you could be investing in who would soak it up. The fourth reminder, you get to carry on Christ's work. That's the perspective that you and I ought to have. You get to do this. You get to carry on Christ's work. Look at verses 12 to 13. It says, so they went out. They did it and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. Christ has been doing thus far in the Gospel of Mark all kinds of amazing things. He's been healing people. He's been delivering people from demons. He's been saving people. And now the disciples get to be involved in that exact same work. They can't save anybody. But they get to preach and herald the message. Twelve ordinary men with a lot of flaws, with a lot of shortcomings, get to do what? The work of Jesus. And they are ministering in word and they are ministering in, powerful, in power. They're powerfully preaching. They're powerfully involved in, in, in healing and casting out demons. That's amazing. These 12 guys? Really? You know that you don't deserve to be involved in multiplying Christ's work. None of us do. None of us are worthy of that. You and I aren't special or extra awesome. But Jesus has commissioned us to continue his work. He says, I, I choose you to go out and preach my message and share my love and declare my truth. So go out and do your part. Verse 12 says, so they went out. Jesus called them and he sent them. And that's exactly what they did. They obeyed. They did it. And that's what Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to go out and do your part and watch God do his. Look at verses 12 and 13 again and maybe just marvel at it. These 12 ordinary, everyday guys with all kinds of flaws and shortcomings, what are, what's going on in verses 12 and 13? They went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. You could read over that pretty quickly, but just pause and think about that for a moment. They did what? These men got to watch God work in people's lives through them. They saw people, no doubt, repent. They saw people be healed. They saw people delivered from demons. And they had a front row seat to all of it. Have you ever sat on the front row of a movie theater or a big game? And I mean, you are just right there and it's all right in front of you and you're just soaking it in. It's awesome. That's one of the things that I absolutely love about being a pastor, what God has called me to do. Because often what it involves is I just get a front row seat to all kinds of amazing things. Sometimes as a pastor, I think, oh, I wish... I wish everybody here knew all these details about what God did in this person's life, but there's just no way we have the time to share all those things. But I got a front row to seat to watch it. 
here's the thing. You don't have to be a pastor to sit on the front row and watch God work. That's every Christian's privilege. Jesus has sent you out and he says, go do this. Go be involved in this work. Go do your part and watch God do his. Jesus wants to multiply his work in the world through you. You don't deserve that, but you get to carry out Christ's work. So go and do it and watch God do his work. And finally, number five, a fifth reminder for those the Lord sends. You are human, limited, and you need rest. Mark likes to tell stories using uh, what you might call a sandwich structure. So, for example, in chapter 5, halfway through it, the story picks up with a guy named Jairus. And it's the story of Jairus. And then all of a sudden, this woman with the issue of blood comes in and it interrupts the Jairus story. And we're focused on her for a few minutes. And then after that, it's back to Jairus. So Jairus, woman with issue of blood, Jairus. And now in Mark 6, Mark does that same sandwich structure again. It starts here with the disciples being sent out by Jesus. And then in the next several verses, it's going to focus on John the Baptist and his death. And then it's going to come back to these men who were sent out and their return. So in Mark 6, 7 to 13, Jesus sends the disciples out. And then in verse 30 to 32, they return. Look at those verses, verses 30 to 32. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. That must have been an exciting reunion. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. What is the first thing that Jesus prescribes upon their return? It's rest. R&R. The great physician just handed his patients, who, by the way, don't even appear to be complaining about any ailments, He just handed them a prescription. You need rest. You can't do this nonstop. I didn't make you that way. I'm not asking you to live that way. Well, maybe they don't want to rest. Maybe they don't want to recharge. I mean, maybe this whole mission that they've been out on has been extremely invigorating. This is an addicting. This is awesome. And this is amazing. This has been great. Or maybe they're just overwhelmed by the need as they've gone from village to village, from village to village, and there are endless numbers of villages all around the lake. And the needs are so great, and there are more people that we could uh, preach the gospel to and summon to repent and believe the good news. There are more people that need healed, and there are more people that are enslaved by demons and need delivered. And you can think of a million and one reasons why they shouldn't rest. But Jesus says to them, Rest. You are not God. You might find it extremely inconvenient that you are a limited being. Isn't that frustrating? That you have limits? That you are limited in things like time. You are limited in energy. You are limited in bandwidth. Your personal fuel tank is only so large. And you only have so much fuel. That's frustrating. It's certainly true that some Christians really just need a kick in the pants to get going. You know, like, when are you going to do something here? You're like, you're not doing anything. Maybe you just show up here and there for church. and That's just 
That's just about it. Sure, it's true that some Christians need a kick in the pants to get moving and start living on mission, but others need reminded, you need to take time to to rest and recharge. When you try to pretend like you can go and go and go without rest, sooner or later that approach becomes counterproductive. You become less productive trying to become more productive, and eventually your tank runs out of gas, and it's typically at the worst time imaginable. I do a fair bit of weed whacking during the summer on our, on our acreage. And every time I start, I typically start right there by the house in the garage. And I fill up the tank of my weed whacker with gas. I try to make sure I have string. It's kind of hard to tell how much is in there. And then I get going. And I'll typically start my work weed whacking around the house and around the garage and sort of out behind the house. But I'm staying pretty close to the house. <laughs> If I run out of string or gas right there by the house, it's no problem. I just run over to the garage. I get more fuel. I reload the string. I keep on going. Uh, Not a problem. I don't lose much time at all. But here's what sometimes happens to me. I can spend a long time weed whacking right there around the house in the garage, and I get really focused just spraying weeds everywhere. It's really a gross sight, like my face just covered in weeds. And I'm just going weed whacking everything all around the house slowly burning through my supply of fuel and string. And I can think, you know, there's a whole bunch still out there in the front. I'll I'll head out that way now. And I start working my way slowly and steadily away from the house, away from the fuel, away from the string. And I might say to myself, maybe I should stop. Top off the fuel. No, (laughs) I think I can make it. Or it's too inconvenient to stop right now. I don't feel like I have time for that. And that philosophy has led me on many occasions literally to running out of fuel or string at the furthest possible place from the fuel tank. If you've been in our yard, think about where our garage is at and then think about the train tracks. Like all the way out there by the train tracks, just going along and all is going great and you hear the putt, 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 it's done. (laughs) Like maybe that sort of thing doesn't bother you. Internally, I get so mad at myself. Oh. No, I just had like 10 more minutes and I would have been done. Now it's all the way back up to the garage, get more fuel, get more string, walk all the way up there, finish the 10 minutes I had left, and come back. When something like that happens, the downtime is exponentially longer than it would have been if I had just taken a few minutes right there while I was still close by and refueled the tank and gone back out. You're not God. And you need rest. And if you push too hard, and if you're always saying, no, now's an inconvenient time, I can't take a break, there's always some other thing i got to run to, and you're that type of person, and you go, and you go, and you go, and you go, sooner or later, your fuel tank is going to run out at the furthest possible place, at the worst possible time. You are not God. You need rest. And if you push too hard, you will not be more productive in ministry. You'll actually be less productive. Jesus says to his disciples, you rest. And you and I are no different. Jesus wants to multiply his work in the world through you. That is a great privilege. And even though you might find it extremely inconvenient, you are human, you are limited, and you do need rest. And so practically, a a few things on that note. You should probably give careful thought and consideration to, to what you do pack your schedule with. And the degree to, w- to which you pack it. 
Because life can get so busy and you want to live on mission. You want to be involved in the work that God has called you to do. You want to be committed to your body, to your church, to the people of it. You want to have time for those people. You want to have time for your unsaved neighbor. But if you crowd your life with so many different things and you're always so, so busy, going so, so hard and so fast, you may not have time for the things that are most important. And also needing rest, it is a sign of weakness but not in a bad way. In fact, that's exactly how God made you. He did not make you like him. He doesn't need rest. He's infinite in strength. And you are not God. And he calls us to rest. In fact, when Jesus talks about the Sabbath, he says uh, that that, uh, we were not made for the Sabbath. Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It's a kindness of God giving mankind rest. Be worth just taking inventory of how that's going for you. Maybe you're not doing much at all and and you need to get going, so to speak. Or maybe you're running too hard and you're never taking a break and you're threatening your longevity in ministry. You are human, limited, and need rest. Jesus wants to multiply his work in the world through you. That is a great and high calling, a great and high privilege, and I hope uh, by the grace of God we will be faithful in that work. Will you bow your head with me at this time as we conclude?